there's a funny story about a man on his way to work and he stopped at a watch shop. This is in the days before watches were as accurate as they were. And he would walk in front of this watch shop and he would stop and he would take out his pocket watch and he would set his time according to the clock that was in the window. And he did this day after day after day, month after month after month. And finally, the shop owner of, of the watch clock or the watch shop got, got curious about what, what this man did that he had to have such accurate timing. So he went out and stopped him as he was setting his watch. And he said, by the way, why do you have to have your watch so accurate? What profession are you in? What do you do that's so important that you have to have accurate time? He said, well, I'm the watchman down at the factory. And it's by my watch that I blow the 5 o'clock whistle. And the horrible look came over the watchmaker. And he said, you can't do that. And the guy goes, why? He goes, because I set my watch by your watch. Yeah, if you're off just a little, I mean, within months, you're going to be losing hours, if not days. Setting your own watch by your own clock, by setting your watch, is funny. But what happens if you set your moral watch by your neighbor's moral watch? And then they set their watch by your moral watch. What happens? Well, it's not too long before we're in a spiral of being downward. Let's take this illustration of circular thinking just a step further. What if you set your expectations of what a Savior is, your expectations of a Savior, based on what you want out of a Savior? What kind of Savior you're looking for would be basically what you want out of it. Now, if we determine a Savior by what we want in a Savior, this is what we would want. And I'm going to say this humorously. I'm going to say it with a little sarcasm in it. So here's the very first fill in the blank. My kind of Savior. If I got to choose what kind of Savior I got, and I imagine you would feel this way too, um, number one of my kind of Savior, this is what he would do. He would rescue me from my enemies or problems. Notice that me and my are in italics because the emphasis is on what I want. So uh, we can uh, show the next slide in a moment. And I want I want my Savior to be like the Calvary, coming in and swooping in. And we're going to show you this picture of a Calvary coming over the hill. I want my Savior to rescue me from my lousy circumstances. I want Him to rescue me from my poor financial decisions. I want Him to rescue me from just my bad decisions. I want him to rescue me from my bad marriage. I want him to rescue me from my bad health issues. He rescues me from the people that annoy me, bother me, irritate me, offend me, or hurt me. That's my kind of Savior. My kind of Savior, second of all, he doesn't ask very much of me. In fact, he asks little of me. Otherwise, I'd do it myself. He does it all. He is like Superman. My Savior is like Superman. I sit back and let my Savior do his thing, right? 
I'm passive, he's active. I'm just going to sit and let him take care of all my problems. That's my kind of savior. Are you getting the tongue-in-cheek here? Okay. How about the next one? Not only does he ask little of me, he gets even for me, for my enemies, or with my enemies. Let's go on to the next slide, the third. He gets even for me with my enemies. Uh, I love my Savior. This is my kind of Savior. He's going to get all the people that irritate me. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, my Savior is going to get him, right? The lady that does not read the checkout line, and I won't pick on all ladies, I'll pick on us men, it says 10 items or less, and they wheel in a cart that has 100 items in it. My Savior would get them. I'd just say, sick them, get them, rescue me. I love the next two slides because, you know, my Savior is going to put them in a lock hold or, or uh, a headlock. All the people that have hurt me, been rude to me, caused me harm, upset me, irritated me, offended me, he's going to get back at them. That's my kind of Savior. And here's number four. He's my Savior. So I expect him to be biased towards me. I want special treatment. He's all about me. He's like my personal bodyguard. He's going to do things for me. Every day, Tammy and I, for how many years? 10, 15 years, we've had a running joke that we're going to go to the mailbox and there's going to be a million dollar check in it for us. I don't know why, we just fell into this little silly joke, but every time we go to the mailbox, we always say, we're going to go get our million-dollar check, because that's my kind of Savior. He's going to send me money, because it's all about me. He's going to protect me, and, and I don't know if you've seen this next slide. How many of you remember that movie? None of you do. Okay, so I'm really relevant today. This is a movie probably from the late 70s, I'm dating myself, called My Bodyguard. Do you remember that movie? All right, we'll move on. <laughs> Even though I've said this humorously and very tongue-in-cheek, what kind of Savior? That kind of Savior is actually peddled in feel-good theology where they overemphasize the love of God at the expense of who He is and what He really needs to do for us to save us. Sometimes the world out there, in order to tell the gospel message, they paint God as this doting grandpa that kind of winks at sin. And no matter what you do, he's always pleased with you and he has candy in his pocket to give you. That's not an accurate picture of our Savior. Um, just thinking happy thoughts, we don't live in Never Never Land, do we? Sometimes we need negative thoughts. Now hear me out on this. Because they confront who we really are. We need to change. We need to mature. We need to grow up. We need to become more like Jesus. And if all I ever do is think happy thoughts, then I'm never going to get around to looking at my life needing, you know, Rob, you're a little selfish. Rob, you, you lack a little self-control in this area of your life. Rob, you really need to confront this. And see, those aren't happy thoughts. 
but my good Savior will bring those to my attention. You know, there are some TV preachers, and they're great motivational speakers, but what they're selling, and they are selling, they're selling a Savior that is like what we did in the first half. It's my kind of Savior. He's never going to confront me about my stinking thinking. He's never going to confront me about my dysfunction. He's never going to confront me about my critical spirit. He's never going to confront me about my sarcastic tone at work. He's never going to confront me if we're just going to have a Savior that's made in the image of what we want Him to be. Do you notice the, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed it for me. The older I get, and hopefully the closer I get to God, the more intimate I become with Him, the more real He becomes, the more personal He becomes, the more I realize how righteous and holy He is. Do you know when Daniel was was confronted with the pre-incarnate Christ, what did he do? It says he shook. Isaiah, when he had a vision of God and God coming down on his throne, what did it say? It said he fell down like a dead man. John, at the, at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, he says he saw one standing among the, the, the light lampstands, and he fell down as if he was dead. Those aren't actually happy thoughts. But they're real thoughts about when you come into the presence of a holy and a powerful and an all-consuming God, it overwhelms you. And so our Savior, we, we need what kind, uh, we, we, we need some negative truths so it drives us to our knees. This week, Tammy and I got bad news. Our daughter who's been fighting the mold you know, she got the clean bill of health on, on uh, right before Thanksgiving. This mold that's in her body, galaxa, glaka, laka, baka, whatever it is. Okay. Great. It's within tolerance. She had a urine test. Now there's black mold in her body. And it's ramping up. So they're going to hit her really hard. And then they just bought a new house. And... They ripped out a wall, and it was completely filled with black mold. You just go, wow. But what we sang earlier, he is a good, good father. And those aren't actually happy thoughts, but they're real thoughts. They're thoughts about reality, and it drives me to my knees. It drives you to your knees when things happen, because that's the kind of Savior we need. Not one that lives in la-la land, or never-never land, or foo-foo land, or whatever land there is out there, but the reality of we need a real Savior, not one of our own design. Paul writes this. He warns us about this age in which we live in. He writes to Timothy and he says this, For a time will come when men will not put up with healthy doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Here's the point. The answer to what kind of Savior it's not up to you to decide what kind of Savior. I don't get to pick and choose what kind of Savior God has sent us. And you don't get to either. Now, 200 years ago, uh, well, we'll even go further back. Sometimes our self-centered thoughts put us in a me versus them mentality. 
Do you ever notice that? When our Savior is possessive and it's my personal Savior, or we say it that way, uh, it kind of puts us us versus them. You know, the, the person that lives down the street that doesn't know Christ, Christ is still their Savior, amen? Yeah! And so we have to get rid of this us versus them mentality. In fact, do you, do you remember when the Israelites were about to go into Jericho and they were going to conquer the promised land and Joshua has been put in charge, Moses has died, and he is in front of Jericho and this angel of the Lord comes. Uh, another word of saying God came. And Joshua didn't know who this man was or this fit being was, but he had a sword drawn and he asked him, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And you know what the angel of the Lord said? Neither. I'm not for you. I'm not for your enemies. I'm for the Lord. Oh, the Lord gets to decide what kind of Savior Jesus is going to be. Um, I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse, uh, we'll pick it up at verse 35. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if you like first, you know, the first Mustang that rolled off the, the assembly line, you know, the first Starbucks. By the way, I don't know if you're an In-N-Out fan of In-N-Out burgers, but Tammy and I have been to the original In-N-Out burger all the time because it was around the corner from where she lived in Southern California. These are the first words that are recorded by John of Jesus. Ah, ah that puts a little different perspective. So let's pick it up. John chapter 1, pick it up at verse 35. It says this, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and here are the very first words of Jesus out of the Gospel of John, What? are you seeking and they said to him rabbi which means teacher where are you staying and Jesus said to them come and you will see so they came and saw where Jesus was staying and they stayed with him that hour for it was about four o'clock in the afternoon it's about the tenth hour um, here's the fill in the blank Jesus asks a question and it's a pivotal question what seek ye you were just, I was just pointed out as the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the testimony of John, who you used to follow, said, that's him. And I have a question. What kind of Savior are you looking for? What are you seeking? What are you hunting after? He was forcing them to define what kind of Savior were they looking for a revolutionary leader that was going to kick Rome out of Palestine? Were they looking for someone that was going to take a military stance and come in and lead them in war? What kind of savior were they looking for? And so Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? What kind? And then he invites them, if you just follow me, you will see for yourself. Now, 
what the upper story is about? Here's the third fill in the blank. Shattering wrong ideas about the Savior. Shattering wrong ideas about the Savior. Because if we get this right, if we understand what Jesus is all about in Him being our Savior, boy, it really sets us on a path for victory. Really sets us on a path for victory. I know you just had this fill in the blank, but we'll give you another fill in the blank because here's point A. The Savior, guess what? Saves me from me. Jesus didn't come to save me from my poor decisions or my debt or my troubled relationships. In a way, he will fix those things, but that's not why he came. He came to save me from me. Now, I'm going to give you a little theology today, so don't be scared. <laughs> it's good stuff. And theology just means, what does the Bible have to say about God? But let's, let's just for a second, before we, we get to, to the John part, um, let's go to the next uh, slide. Because this sets the tone for what kind of Savior we need. It, it qualifies and quantifies what we really mean when it says we have to be saved from ourselves. It says, thus it is written, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Do you remember when that happens? God speaks the whole world into existence. A whole universe comes because of the logos from last week. But he takes man and he, he forms him out of the dust and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And it says the first man became a living being. But the last Adam, he's talking about Jesus, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was made of physical matter from the earth. A man of dust. But the second man is from where? From heaven. Heaven. So when Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus at night, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. In fact, do we have a slide on that? I think we do. Maybe we don't. Yeah, we do. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Now, there's a little play on words here. This word born again can also be translated be born from heaven. Which means it's a spiritual birth. It's a spiritual birth, born from above. So let's contrast these two types of men, just for a quick second. The first man is, Adam is from the earth, Jesus is from heaven, right? Got that? How about the garden? One act in the garden by Adam threw us into chaos. Do you realize that when Jesus went to the garden, it wasn't just a happy coincidence? He went to a garden on purpose. And what did he do? He said, let this cup pass before me, Father, because I don't want to do it. But not my will be done, thy will be done. 
And so you have these two garden scenes. One, the man of earth failed, but the man from heaven had victory. How about the wilderness? Adam gave his dominion away. He obeyed the created and doubted the word of God. But Jesus, when he goes into the wilderness, he takes dominion back. Afterwards, he comes back and he is kicking I shouldn't say it, but he's just, he's doing a lot of stuff. He's casting out demons. He's doing this. He's doing that. He took dominion back. How about the master? Through Adam, sin entered the world, and we have been enslaved to it. But through Jesus, righteousness was restored. Because in the gospel, there is a power. There is a power of, of the gospel in a righteousness. How about fruit? Adam's fruit, judgment came, shame came, guilt came, nakedness came. What about the last Adam? What was his fruit? He brought in righteousness. He brought in grace. He brought in forgiveness. He, he took away our nakedness. He clothed us with himself. What was the result of Adam? Death. Spiritual death and then physical death. What about Jesus? What was his result of the last Adam? Life. Give us life. Life to all who would claim it. And what's the legal verdict? Legal verdict on Adam? Condemned. Condemned. What's the legal verdict for those in Christ? What's the word? Forgiven? Uh, what's the legal term when somebody's not convicted of a crime? Help me out here. Exonerated? Acquitted, thank you. You're acquitted of your crimes. The righteousness is defined. The Old Testament law was legal. It was about the outward man. Jesus is all about what? The heart, the inward man. It's not what goes into the mouth that pollutes a man. It's what, it, Jesus says, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles the man. And the last one is this, the eternal. Death through Adam brought misery, but the last Adam, life through Jesus and joy. See, here's the bottom line. Either our identity is in the first Adam or the last Adam. And in order to be saved from myself, I must die to self and be born from the second Adam. We must be born again. God's Savior saves me from myself. Whew! <laughs> I am so glad. But here's even more good news. Here's the last fill-in-the-blank. I think it's the last fill-in-the-blank. He doesn't just rescue, but what does he do? He restores us. Do you remember when uh, Jesus met the woman at the well? And she's been sleeping around. She's gone through five or six guys. And she's trying to change the subject to spiritual stuff so... He doesn't find out about her past. 
And Jesus just kind of says, I know about your past. He says it in a polite way, go call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Yeah, yeah, I know you've had five or six guys already. But then he says, if you would have asked of me for water, I would have given you living water. And she says, how in the world are you going to get water? This well is deep. Are you better than Jacob, who, who is our ancestor that drilled this well? And Jesus says, no, the water I give you comes inside the heart and it springs up like a fountain and it is going to fill you with peace and joy and it's eternal forever and ever and you will never thirst again. You will stop chasing after the things of the world. The things of the world actually will start tasting like sand in your mouth because the, when you get further away from the world and closer to what is real, what is real you'll know the difference. So what kind of Savior do you seek? A genie in a lamp? Savior of convenience? A Savior of comfort? You're looking for a buddy? Maybe you like buffets. Maybe you like salad bars. And you just are in this habit of picking and choosing the things that you like. I grew up with a mom who, we record these, but she'll understand. She wasn't a very good cook. She overcooked every vegetable that God ever grew on this planet. And when I met Tammy, she's like, do you eat vegetables? I'm like, no way. They're horrible. They taste horrible. Because uh, my mom just, just overcooked everything so it was just like mush. Tammy's like, you need to eat your vegetables. If you're going to be healthy, you need to eat your vegetables. So I'm like, okay, I'll eat corn. She's like, that's a grain. Eat some vegetables, something green, something leafy. Something. You know, she had to twist my arm. A Savior that really loves you? is going to make you eat your vegetables. A Savior that really loves you is not going to just let you eat candy all the time. Or Rocky Road ice cream all the time. Or a Savior is going to do what is best for you. And that means changing us. He's changing us. Do you notice in our text, Jesus didn't condemn the disciples, when he said, what kind of Savior are you looking for? He just invited them to come. Come and see. Come and see the truth about who you really are from the last Adam and why you need to be born again. Why you can break the shackles of this world and have victory in Jesus. Did you have any spiritual moments this week? You had lots of physical moments. We remember our physical moments. Did you have any spiritual moments this week? You, you probably did, but were they healthy? Were they good? Were they holy? Or were they dragging you down into the abyss of this world? There is victory in Jesus to change us. I cannot tell you more emphatically how true that is. The Savior you need is a Savior that will save you from yourself. Let's pray. Father.